Welcome to Gu Dao Jinxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into the ancient texts of Taoism to uncover timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, and I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach, David Wong. Morning, David. Good morning, Ian. How are you? I'm doing just fine. How about yourself? Uh, doing pretty good. Just, uh, you know, busy and juggling uh, things. But uh, overall, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's great to hear. So juggling things is definitely part of normal life. And that's some of the things that we try to touch on in our podcast, which is how can we use this timeless wisdom to juggle things in a way that that feels more natural, spontaneous, where we're not um, kind of uh, uh, subjected to undue harshness and, and try to make it more flowing and, and natural. So that being said, during your juggling this week, did you have a walking the timeless way moment that you think would be relevant to share today? Uh, I did. I did. Uh, we, uh, we have just moved to another uh, new place, and uh, we're still sorting out uh, lots of stuff we have. So in that sorting out, I found out that uh, I own a lot of things that I never got a chance to use. So that, yeah. you know, triggers some interesting thinking. So if I own it, but I never use it. So I don't find, you know, value in those. Uh, I don't. I don't really like realize the value in those things. I find it very interesting because that's remi- that reminds me of the, uh, you know, the uh, philosopher and the psychologist, uh, the uh, William James. Uh, one of his uh, saying his uh, quotes, uh, saying our experience is what we agree to attend to. And all that we notice, only those things that we notice shape our mind. So, you know, back to this stuff, I realize, you know, in, you know, in our daily life, we let a lot of things, we, because, of the, because we don't want to uh, let go of things, so, you know, there are a lot of things over there that actually obscure the most important things. You know, in, in my sorting out, I find that a lot of things I, I treasure and, you know, really important. Now they are more at the forefront of my attention. So uh, from now on, what I'm thinking is, you know, that, you know, a very continuous cleansing and organizing uh, will help me determine what really what things are really of value of important and what things are not. I think you know. I, I think this is a perfect. It, it actually, I think it's very similar to what how our mind works because our mind is filled of stuff too. And in that mind, what's really important, what's not important. So back to Taoism, I think 
uh, Lao Tzu, even in this chapter we just studied, chapter 16, you know, invited us to, you know, to um, attain a certain level of emptiness and stillness. Because in that emptiness and stillness, we truly can find and discern what's important to us. So that's kind of the daily experience. But again, I, I think a lot of times it's interesting just in these daily activities, their mundane activities, we realize something that is fundamental, fundamentally Taoist. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that experience. And in particular, I, I really appreciated how you made that connection between decluttering our homes with decluttering our minds. It's, it seems obvious when it's spoken out loud like that. Oh, yeah, declutter your minds. But how much time and effort and daily practice does it take mm -hmm. to truly do that? That's the key thing. And that's the thing that we can very easily overlook. We can intellectualize what you just said, declutter our minds. Oh, yeah, declutter our minds and, and sort of shake our, our nod our heads in agreement but then not spend the time each day really probing that. I think the, the core that I've noticed is still anytime I'm going to leave the comforts of home and just be out and about, I have to make it simple. And, and I've found the three treasures. That's the way that I can just then, try to keep it simple and focus on showing up in the world. I think, okay, how can I not put myself first in these situations, which that automatically leads to more patience, more ease, not being neurotic about myself, um, being kind and compassionate. That certainly makes me feel more at rest and less anxious and then moderation, knowing, okay, I, I don't need to overdo it one way or another. And everything else beyond that, when I'm in motion, is sort of that, like, okay, well, this isn't necessary. I just focus on those core things. That's hard enough. Yes. So that decluttering, that, let's get into it even more today. In Chapter 16, we talked a lot about the word tian, which is heaven in um, Chinese language, but it, it's not a simple word, is it? It is not. Um, uh, it's a word that has multiple layers of meanings. And those layers of meanings, you know, if you have been to Grand Canyon, you see all these different layers of stones, right, form over the, over the centuries, right? So around that Tian is the same thing. Uh, it's a very ancient Chinese word, uh, all the way back to probably the 16th century to 11th, 11th century BC, the Chinese Dan, uh, Shang Dynasty. And during that time, because it's the first time when written words were preserved on those bone oracle, oracle bones. And so, you know, 
people who studied those uh, words and characters on the oracle bones find a tian on it. But originally, it's not the meaning we know now. It's the it's really a it's the human head. So it's basically a human person because Chinese language is a is a picture writing. It's a pictograms. So you see a pictogram of a large person with a large head. Sometimes you know it's a, like a square a written in a square head. So that's the origin of the tian. But then by extension. Tian starts to mean what's above the head. You know, the huge, the vast expanse of the sky that has the, you know, the the space and the celestial celestial bodies. Uh, so that's the kind of the origin of it. But then over time, the you know semantics of Tian has evolved. So I know there's a ton of meanings and, and how they've changed. Feel free to share any of those that you think are, are relevant. I would be particularly interested in hearing within Tao Te Ching, what is the meaning of heaven? And I know even within that, there's not one meaning. So maybe provide somewhat of a, a comfortable range of the meaning of heaven within just Lao Tzu's words, and then maybe also how contemporary Chinese people within the current culture maybe view that word. Yeah, the uh, I think Tian, uh, so as I mentioned in Shang dynasties, at that time, people were, the, the Shang dynasty people were very religious. So, but they, instead of calling a higher being the the, the the deities are uh, Tian. They actually uh, call it Di, Lord, or Shang Di, or the the Lord above. So uh, so, but the merge of that word Shang Di or Di with Tian started in the dynasty right after Shang Dynasty, which is called the Zhou Dynasty. It was during the Zhou Dynasty that Tian started to mean the upper, the, 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 really the, the God, the deities, the highest deities that, you know, that rules the human world. Uh, so at that time, in that kind of context, there's, there's the concept of the, 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 the son of heaven, meaning Tianzi, that's the basically the sovereign, the so, the sovereignty or the rulers, because they represent uh, the will of Tian, and uh, they, um, you know, there's this notion of the mandate of heaven, uh, Tian Ming. Uh, a lot of Confucius uh, Confuciusness idea actually were built upon this notion of Tian, uh, really the ethical. Tian, Tian that has uh, some moral principles. If you violate these principles, even these sovereigns, like the rulers, because if the t people find that if they, they're like natural disasters, bad things happen, uh, you know, people say that's the will of the Tian telling that the mandate of heaven will be removed from that ruler. 
So it's always been with the Chinese belief. So it's not a democratic election system like the United States where voters do that. It's through this notion of Tian, you know, when the rulers, whoever they are, the emperors, if they are not doing things ethical or according to moral principles, eventually they will be moved. Um, you know, things will happen. It's not a process driven, but it is, you know, it's a, a naturalistic way of happening. And I don't want to create a, a tangent, but I am kind of curious, maybe we can just keep it brief, but do Chinese people and the modern culture still kind of view things to that extent or to some extent that way? And I'm also curious, during the Cultural Revolution, how much of an impact did that have on that particular way of viewing things? Uh, I think fundamentally, Chinese people still view that. They view that uh, by looking at, uh, you know, the, the government, uh, even nowadays, they view that also in the world order, in the world order. When a power, a world power doesn't act according to that mandate of heaven, uh, things will also happen to them. So that's the very fundamental to the Chinese view of things. They look at their, their government, their government leaders. They look at, you know, what, the, what they call 天下. 天下 means all that under heaven. Uh, it's, uh, that 天下 has been repeated by uh, Laozi in, uh, in, you know, in Dao De Jing many, many times. So I did a count of how many Tian were appeared in Dao De Jing is 92 times. But wow. the, the majority of that times, it's used together with uh, in the word of Tianxia, meaning all that is under heaven. So basically all that is under heaven is the whole world. Of course, during that time, you know, the notion of the, the world is, uh, I mean, is it, the middle kingdom, is China. But that's that carves it all. Now our sense of the world has expanded, you know, to our planet. But it has a very platonic ideal to it all, that that way of, of speaking about it, that there's Tian and Tianxia, heaven and all under heaven, very much about, it feels a lot like Plato's cave, you know, that there's the the world, and then there's the ideals that that gets reflected against the cave and and the light, and it feels very much kind of parallel to that way of thinking. And obviously, uh, not exact, not exactly. I think the boundary is not that clear. It's all. Uh, I, I think the Platonic view is seems like the sensory world, and mm -hmm. then that world of forms are almost like two spheres, right? Through knowledge, mm -hmm. you kind of climb the ladder of knowledge uh, to reach that world. I think a lot of times, uh, I mean, there are philosophers like Xunzi who try to separate, uh, separate the two and saying that let's just don't be superstitious, mm -hmm. don't tell, use the natural calamities as a sign of, you know, somebody uh, doing really bad in the human sphere. So mm -hmm. he made an argument called the division of heaven and man. 
But he is, I would say, he is more of an outlier. And I think most of the time, uh, the Chinese fundamental Chinese philosophy is built upon the notion of the, the harmony or the union of, uh, of heaven and humanity called Tian Ren He Yi. Yeah. And so within chapter 16, when we're talking about Tian, can you tell me specifically how, it, how it's meant in this chapter? Actually, this is an interesting one because uh, if you look at the context here, uh, you know, I've seen various, uh, you know, tr- translation and interpretation of Tian in here. And uh, basically in this chapter, Lao Tzu talked about, I think he's talking about a state of being, okay? That state of being starts with, you know, you, uh, you know, empty yourself and still, and in that stillness, you start to realize the constancy of doubt. Okay, so from there, so he used a progression of language, uh, more from uh, I, I think it from uh, inner to outer. If you just trace the, you know, the progression of the language, in there he's basically saying, okay, so when we start to see the constancy of Tao, okay, that chang, zhi chang, what will happen? What will happen first is we'll be more patient and foreboding. So in other words, like in today's world, we do not have that patience. We're very quick to judge. We're, we're overreacting. Whoever is saying something that doesn't, you know, agree with us, we get you know, angry and irritated and, you know, all that kind of feeling. So there's no foreboding, there's no patience in just trying to understand and absorb things. Why? Because we are only looking at our own perspectives, our own narrow views. We don't know how the, over a longer period of time, how this cosmos will, you know, we are threatened by whatever we are seeing. You know, it's the need, knee-jerk response. So by understanding the chang, zhi chang, the, the first, you know, the, the first thing that impacts us, we're becoming more patient. Yeah, it makes perfect sense that what I see, and I, I want to understand what you see, but what I see is that over time, after the Renaissance, there was this period of scientific exploration and and we had a huge amount of progress scientifically Mm -hmm. and we needed that to get out of the dark ages, the, the oppression of the church, but what happened over time and we're kind of at the conclusion of it, but we've exchanged our spiritual selves for these material selves that have become so secular that we've divorced ourselves from 
all of the things relevant to spirituality and have essentially become political beings. And that's become so hyper polarized because of the internet, social media propaganda that like you're saying now, so much of the country in the United States, if, if you don't agree with even the smallest point Mm -hmm. that someone has politically, which isn't even their idea, they've just adopted it from something that they've read on the internet. It's not like they've come to these conclusions through their own critical analysis most of the time. Right. Um, But they, they will see the other person as their enemy, as evil how many times now do you see someone saying, you know, fascist this, fascist that, fascist this, fascist right. that? And and really, it's just a difference of opinion. Yeah, yeah. I think in some way we're becoming, as a, as a human being, we're becoming smaller and smaller, pettier and pettier. Because the Tian, as I, you know, at, at the very beginning, I explained, uh, actually, the, 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 uh, the writing, the, the original Tian uh, is the big head and then a big person. Even in the Taoism and the Confucianism, Confucianism to a, a large extent, people, I mean, there's a distinction between Da Ren and Xiao Ren. Xiao Ren is the small person. Da Ren is the bigger person. So what does that bigger person mean? That bigger person is what's being talked in this chapter. Like uh, that it's all uh, embracing person. Uh, it's also very unprejudiced person. It's very inclusive person. I mean, if you trace the, uh, the, the, the world culture, I mean, either in the East or the West, uh, I think you can see that there used to be the leaders we, uh, we, we admire. I mean, the immediate thing I think about is the, uh, you know, President Abraham Lincoln. You know, I read a lot of stories and I, I think during the Civil War, you know, he brought to his cabinet all kinds of people. So how did he have that big heart, that broad mind? to bring all these people who do not necessarily see eye to eye together under the same thing. So that represents a bigger mind, a bigger heart. While today, you know, one, whoever the political leader, I see there's a lot of tendency to push people. I mean, not just in this country, but in, in China and other parts of the world, in the government people, they want only want to people who are loyal to them. Yeah, and that's that unheavenly way of... Yes, yes. I'm I'm reading from some of your notes because I think they're they're really important that, you know, when we're we're embracing the way of heaven, what we're not doing is lording, dominating, commanding, imposing, interfering, dictating, bullying, harassing, intimidating, oppressing, controlling, exploiting, manipulating. Those are, I mean, there's a lot in that, but if you look, it feels like, Mm -hmm. boy, there's a lot of that happening in the world today. And it's the opposite of that wide 
heart, that wide mind, when you were referencing Abraham Lincoln, we we know that if we really want to understand other people, we can't force other people to to do that. Everyone has to have an intention to listen deeply and empathetically to the other person that they're talking with. That's the only way to get understanding. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way that this country, I'm talking about the United States, but it's obviously all over the world where there's people now just because of the nature of globalization, people have hugely different backgrounds and if we just continue to shout and yell at each other and call each other names and say, oh, if you don't think like me, you're mm-hmm. a bigot, or if you don't think like me, you're evil, we're just going to keep making the whole world a worse and worse place. We don't need to create all of these. I see what's happening is people create their own language and their own terms for the world because they're they're trying to enforce language on people so that everyone adopts their worldview. The problem with that is, is that people aren't stupid and, and people know they've read 1984 and they've read how language is used to try to you know make people, I mean, to gaslight people, to make people see things a, a certain way. Mm-hmm. And rather than that, what we actually need to do is is that deep, empathetic listening and try to understand each other. We don't need new language. We don't need new terminology. We just need to practice these basic things that have been around for thousands of years so that society has harmony. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. So... Moving on, we we want to talk about this the state of of being aligned with the way of of heaven, and I think maybe if we can describe that state a little bit, we want to be able to connect it to the experience in our own bodies and our own consciousness. Otherwise, it becomes an intellectual thing, and we don't want this to be an intellectual thing. We want it to be a lived mm-hmm. experience. And I also want to clarify, you know, it, it, it's not possible for us to maintain a constant alignment with the, the term that we're saying, the way of heaven. We all have biorhythms. We have good days and bad days. We have the environment putting pressures on us. But when we are aligned with this way of heaven, how would you describe what that feels like in our bodies and in our consciousness? Uh, First thing I can think of is we have our own feeling when we aligned with align ourselves with the way of heaven we have a sense of things are just uh falling in the right place or you know think we we have uh some kind of peace but that peace 
in a, it's a natural piece. Uh, it's not a contrived piece we are trying to manufacture. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, like we feel our life is, you know, is, you know, like what the Buddhist saying is the the right living, right saying, you know, right acting, but right in the not se- in the sense of the moralistic way. You know, you try to show to somebody who is right uh, because it's more of a you know, you know, you're doing something, you're you're you're, you're doing the right thing. Uh, at that moment, when mm-hmm. when we are aligned with the way of heaven, yeah, I like making that connection. I'm I'm guessing that some of the people listening probably do have some familiarity with with um, Buddhism's um, eightfold path, and I, and I think that's what you're saying. Similarly, when you're practicing mm-hmm. that noble way of being, eventually mm-hmm. over time it gets more and more into your bones and you can connect with that, that feeling of lightness knowing I don't have these toxins in my heart. I don't ha- I'm not harboring this resentment and anger. I'm not thinking about, I'm worried about myself all the time. I'm being neurotic about mm-hmm. if people are thinking something about me or not, because I know in my heart that I'm, I'm walking this path and, and Taoism, we would call it Tao the way in Buddhism, we talk about the four noble truths that result then in, um, the, the, the eightfold, um, path. And there are those parallels there, but yes, we, we sense it because we've practiced it enough that it gets into our bones and we, we know very much when toxins are in our consciousness and body versus when we have that more natural sense of ease because we've been cultivating these um, ways of being. Yeah, yeah. I think the irony that I observe in a lot of the uh, people, uh, including myself, because I had that experience myself, is that sometimes just when I find myself falling short of doing the right thing myself, I tend to be more irritated by other people. So that's the the irony I found, that sometimes I become more forgiving, uh, more lighthearted if I carry out my role or my thing, do what I'm feeling I'm supposed to do, uh, you know, uh, in a a way that I feel like I give off my best. I think that's that's what usually happens. It's, It's like when there's a gap between I think the problem is usually is within us. In, in, in other words, when we feel our life is empty or full of boredom or has problems, we tend to project that problem to the other people, the outside world. So, so one way to, to do that is, um, you know, with the world, have peace with the world 
is to find peace in ourselves. So how do you find peace in yourself is to do the kind of the right thing that you know it's the right thing to do. <laughs> so it's all connected in, in, in an interesting way. It definitely is. And psychology mm-hmm. has has shown that too. And, uh, and you use that psychological term projection, and that's definitely what people do a lot of times. They 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 don't reflect and they don't want to look at their own mm-hmm. actions and the own their own toxicity that they're creating and so rather than admitting that they're the source of that when they're out in the world they project that on other people oh that person's an a-hole or that person did this or that and and much of the time whenever i notice myself going into that way of thinking it really is it's like nope i actually need to look at myself and address whatever is going on inside and then i notice oh i'm i'm not doing that as much so maybe can you talk more about how we do experience other people when we're more aligned with the way of heaven um First of all, when we start to focus more on ourselves, I think there's a, an experience that, first of all, the importance of other people at one time kind of a dwindle compared with previously. Previously, because you know I'm busy looking around and picking thoughts with others and you know get frustrated with others. Now I focus on myself. So psychologically speaking, you know, sometimes I feel like, oh, these people are not that relevant to us or that re- important to us. I mean, they are to some way, but there is a, that stage that the weight of other people's opinions or behaviors, uh, they don't matter that much in the overall your sense of experience. If I can explain that, you know, uh, because, because then, because your attention is focusing on yourself. So there is a period that other people are less important. Okay, but as you re, you know you you settle down, but you you then again find the important of others. But that important of others is not the previous your sense of important of others, because the previous sense of important of others is. Um, you know, for it's more hostile relationship or adversarial relationship. Yeah. But then the the new renewal sense of your relationship with others has been transformed because you are able to look in. So at that time, you naturally to see other people are connected to you, and there can be a natural mutual beneficial relationship between yourself and others. And you just let, let that natural benefits flow between you and other people. So that's becoming kind of a like different stages. I think you experience other people uh, in different ways as you start to align uh, with uh, uh, you know your, your yourself with the way of heaven. Yeah, I think there's still that key key piece which is recognizing that we're 
connected versus that disconnection. When we disconnect and, and separate ourselves from the world, that's where we can become more self-absorbed. We're thinking about that extraction mentality. How can I get something out of this moment versus how do I relate to everything else that's going on? Right, right, right. You are, you, I think I, I want to make a distinction here. You feel connected with other people, but other people are not super, super important out of proportion to you. So that's yeah. how I experience. It, yeah. it, it, it's not an equal sort of thing. It's, it's again, it's that in the three treasures, not putting ourselves first versus putting ourselves first. We can see that there's, a connection to other people in the moment, you know, if we're at a stoplight and the light turns green and someone's not moving, if we start blowing our horn, yeah, we're connected to that person because we're obviously relating to them, but we're doing it in an impatient, hostile right. way versus a, a a way where we're not putting ourselves first. If we're not putting ourselves first, maybe we can stop for a moment and recognize, I don't know what's going on with that person to date. Maybe they're having chest pains and are worried right. that they're having a heart attack. And now I'm blowing my horn at them because they didn't start going in the first half a second after the light changed. And now I'm creating even more suffering and pain for them when they're already struggling. And so it's, it's that sort of connection where we, we get our egos more out of the way. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we were going to try to explain to people how to be more aligned with the way of heaven, how how might we go about doing that? What are some ideas for trying to um, help people with this? Um, first of all, there needs to be an, uh, a greater awareness of the existence of the way of heaven. We've been living in a culture that seems to emphasize that we human beings can create whatever it is, right? The, you know, out of human concepts. I think the, uh, yeah, I think there is a subjective aspect of our experience, that's for sure. But we need to acknowledge uh, th there's a way of heaven there. I mean, even we don't see it, you know, it's not maybe not not necessary. You know what, like the religious beliefs tell us. You know that is in God because uh, I mean it's just a way of maybe understanding it. But because I think a lot of times people rebel or refuse to believe there is a like a way of heaven because they were against God. The reason they were against God because they have bad experience with the, the the people in the church and the church leaders. So, so we tend to kill the message uh, because of the messenger. I, I think somehow we need to return to the realization 
there is a way of heaven existing. Well, and I think even putting in purely secular terms, because I think the, the challenge is, is that because so many people have become atheist and, and agnostic, mm-hmm. which is fine, um, but they're still, even from secular terms, even though modern psychology and mm-hmm. the the industry of psychotherapy largely ignores it still, there's plenty of evidence that integrating spirituality with psychotherapy, that's where you get the most benefit. Because when you treat things completely materially, it's not enough for people. People, it, it when when times are tough, when anxiety is high, mm-hmm. um, and and just motivation to practice um, altruism and kindness and compassion isn't enough. It, it's through a, a recognition of something greater, something bigger. Mm-hmm that really helps people and so you don't have to you don't have to be a believer in a a being a god to to see the research that shows hey integrating spirituality with with psychotherapy that actually tends to give people a lot more a lot greater well-being right right uh you know, interesting you mentioned this. Uh, you know, recently I heard something which I, I find the idea is very interesting. You know, this person talks about the evolution of spirits. Okay. So from very early on, like in the, at the, you know, prehistorical or even like early time period when human beings first had that consciousness, uh, spirit is everywhere. Spirits, mm-hmm. you know, is it's up there, is in here, is in human. Okay, so that's during the time when probably Lao Tzu talked about the prevailing operation of Tao, Da Dao Xing. But interestingly, religion is something that came upward, uh, upward because somebody pick up on you know, pick, uh, picked on those uh, impulses, uh, that spiritual impulses, and start to conceptualize and turning in, turn them into uh, beliefs, right? But still at that time, religion has some spirit remaining in it, okay? Uh, I, I think, uh, so that guide people's lives. But then, unfortunately, religion becoming more and more conceptual, more and more dogmatic, and more and more like belief-based. Eventually, it's in our modern times, it morphed into ideology. Okay, so that's yeah. when all the kind of ism, communism, capitalism, all the ism start to come. So we live in, a, in a, 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 we especially the 20th century, we live in a, uh, how you say they, we live in a, a, a time of different ideologies, oh, yeah. all these ideological fights, right? So now we are living in all the ideology starts to get to be part of our egoic self, 
So it's becoming, you know, identity politics. So it's even oh, yeah. internalized. So from the time when we internalize the natural spirit to the time when we internalize the dogma of the religion, the all these uh, doctrines of the the ideology. Now it's all building to part of our ego. So that's where the decline, the, the you know, Lao Tzu talked about the da dao fate, like when the, the, the dwindling or the diminishing of the Tao uh, or the, even the and the virtue, right? It's all spirit. And that spirit was naturally, it's already, it's been there all the time, right? It's from time immortal, we have that spirit. But unfortunately, that spirit kind of experiences its own decline through different generations of conceptualization and doctrination all the way to our state that is now in our soul. It's all, it's all those ideas and beliefs, not, no spirit anymore. Yeah, the, the way is walking through a beautiful field of wildflowers and feeling yes. the spirit ideology is picking those flowers, putting them in a vase and, and trying to keep, keep it alive through right. force. Well, eventually they wilt and turn Brown. And what's happened is that over these centuries, we've gone from, the spirit of walking through a field of beautiful wildflowers to these crusty, brittle, right. brown grasses that for a lot of people, whether it's organized religion or organized identity politics, it's the same thing. It's like it has no spirit anymore. It's just this dead husk. Yes, that's a great metaphor. And the driving force there is Perhaps, you know, human beings, they have a natural kind of tendency to want to make things easy because it's getting, uh, you know, in the real spiritual world, that spirituality comes from, com com comes actually comes from complexity, including survival and adversity and everything. That spirituality emerges from all that kind of the, the, the living force. But I think throughout, I mean, human beings are trying to take control over that, you know, uh, sort of the so-called bring order to chaos, right? But by bringing order to chaos, by simplifying, by conceptualizing, they're actually killing the spirit. Yeah, that's, I think we you and I both have really enjoyed Krishnamurti and things that he said. And that's kind of a central thing to his teaching is, is really trying to get people to see your words actually deaden life. That when you mm -hmm. see the world through your thoughts, because mm -hmm. thought is, is already divisive because it's programming. I mean, all, all words mm -hmm. in our head have, we've been programmed to think them and and um, and their subsequent meanings, and so when we live in a world of ideology, that's automatically deadening that spirit. But to connect this back to um, 
the question that led to it is that if we're going to teach others about spirit, about the way, about the way of heaven, it starts with us. We have to cultivate our own spirit. We have to constantly be each day working on our spiritual selves because that's actually what we're trying to transmit. And so if that's not there, there's nothing to transmit to someone else. Yeah. 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 I mean, we have to, uh, we have to, you know, acknowledge the limitation of words and use words as a tool and a limitation, but we need to, you know, acknowledge the limitation of words. So in other words, words, can be a, a medium and trying to portray and describe, you know, our own experience. But it's our own experience that finally counts. I mean, Lao Tzu said the same thing. He he kept on. It's interesting. He kept on saying, "Oh, you know, the real Tao you cannot be described by words." Then he ended up describing it in words. <laughs> so <laughs> right. So that's what the, that's the kind of the. Uh, you know, challenging situation because he wanted to get across to people, you know, what he intuitively experiences. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot then, and I'm going to ask you just for a thought experiment. Imagine you're with someone for the day and you, the two of you have agreed that you're going to try to instill them with spirit somehow or help facilitate them finding spirit within themselves. But the two of you can't use words to communicate. What are you going to do that day? Just do what I intended to do that day. And let my actions, my responses be the, you know, be the materials of, of that person's learning. I think that's really key because then what we can also tell then is that our way of being in the world, that alone has huge implications, significant yes. implications that just how we exist affects the how we show up how we show, how we up. show up right and even how? if we didn't speak at all we're having an impact on the people around us yeah and then at the end of the day with that person you know to continue that thought experiment i think it will be interesting to uh you know go back to the human language and try to do some uh debrief or reflection but i think throughout the day most of the time it's just like observe each other. I mean, I'm also the person being observed and uh, and also I'm the observer. So from that interaction with that person, I can also learn a great deal about the working of Tao. So nobody has the monopoly over the realization of Tao because each has their own path, their own portal into Tao. So it is through that kind of interaction that we get a glimpse of the total Tao, how the total Tao works. And so that's as we're winding down today, try to put a, a realistic perspective on what traveling this, this path is, is like. 
as far as setting expectations, the time commitment, what can we expect? I mean, how much stillness and peace can we expect in a chaotic world, even if we're practicing and, and cultivating our spiritual selves? Well, uh, first of all, it's very challenging just to live in the current culture and the environments. Uh, I think um, sometimes it requires, you know, Lao Tzu talks about Wu Wei. I always believe, because I, I remember from my childhood memories, because in, in, as a children in China, we were taught to learn how to write calligraphy with a brush, right? But begin, uh, before we actually, you know, use our own artistic kind of license to draw, to write our own calligraphy, we actually have a little book that has the, um, the character written, pre-printed. So basically, you are filling the blanks of a Chinese character. So when you do that well, then you can go to the next stage of writing with your own personality. So in order to, to be a good commander of yourself, you should have to, to be a good follower. It's not like, oh, immediately I just do whatever, because there's order in the universe. So I think uh, what I would need to do is first of all, is to order my life so that I intentionally, you know, tune out some of the noises I don't want. It feels like very conscious effort and it's not like a way stage, but that's the first stage. I need to kind of create a structure and discipline to sort out what's important and what's not important and then gradually within that space I'm building, I'm going to the next level of uh, way stage that, you know, more spontaneously, I start to cultivate, you know, uh, a stillness uh, throughout the day. So that's the kind of the idea, like have to, just like building any habit, you have to kind of make a deliberate effort and follow, you know, some of the, you know, other best practices that other people recommend and see how that works for you. And then second stage is my own self-creating creative stage. Yeah, but essentially we have to, through repetition and practice, really embody it. And embodying anything takes yeah. a lot of time and it doesn't just, we can't just decide we cannot will will it out. You know, it's not a just will. If the, that will needs to be translated into action, you know, consistent action and habits, and then even because habits are still scaffold, so eventually we are not even aware of those habits. It's just becoming part of us. I think that's the Taoist state, for sure. And I'm. I'm still practicing constantly. Actually, I, I feel like my my practice is the best that it's ever been. And as a result, I really see how much further there is to go. Yeah, yeah. 
that's the thing. That's there's no destination. I, I think the further you practice, the further more, right? I mean, it's no different from, you know, what Socrates, ex, you know, experienced. People said he was wise. He said, "The more I know, the more I know, I know less." So, walking the timeless way, I think, is the same. That's no destination. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate those ending words, and um, we appreciate the listeners who have joined us today. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We make this podcast for you and is entirely listener-supported. If you find value in our discussions of Tao, please consider making a small donation at walkingthetimelessway.com. We also want to hear from you. Please write to us anytime via the website.